we've been doing something each week on Tuesday, and I just touched on it for a second, but just want to do something right now together, just as a few of us here today just want to close your eyes with me, and let's just lift this nation up. We're two days away from our election. Lord, we lift up this nation. Lord, they've tried to tell us a different history, but we know the reason, the reason that they came here to this land was for the freedom to worship you, the freedom to worship God. Lord, we give you everything. We give you all. We are yours, and we stand in the gap for this nation. Lord, your word is filled with men and women who stood in the gap and you listened to them, even one man. You'd listen to them for the sake of the nation. So Lord, we stand in the gap for this nation. We ask you to forgive us for our sins. Forgive us, Lord, for pushing you out. Forgive us, Lord, for the things that we've done that oppose you. Lord, we ask for grace and mercy over this nation We thank you, Lord, that your church would be compelled in this election, compelled to pray these next couple of days and to make that vote, not based on emotions, not based on their feelings, but that your church would vote based upon the word of God, based upon truth, based upon, Lord, what is best, what you have already deemed best, and we can't judge that in our eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling your church, raising us up, Lord. We are still your people. No matter what happens in this nation, we will keep praising you, keep lifting up the name of Jesus. Amen. Just felt compelled to do that again. A couple of weeks ago, I felt compelled to Uh, start speaking just uh, an encouraging word. God loves us so much. It's unbelievable how much he loves us. We just, we will never get it in our human minds. For those of you who have children, you know how much you love your children. You know what you would do for your child. You know that without even hesitating, you would give your own life for your child. Before your mind could even make a decision, you would lay down your life for your children. God laid down his life. God sent his son in Jesus, the son of God, God as well. God laid down his life, his very life for us without even thinking, without even hesitating. He loved us so much that he went to that cross with joy for us. We the best way to understand it is the example of you and your own children, but we still can't get the weight and the pressures that would have been upon him that the entire world, the sin of the entire world, before we were even born, before we would even commit the sins he was going to forgive us of, he took it on the cross that day. He loves us so much, and many times we get caught up in the whirlwind right here right we're about to have an election and if you are in this nation you've been hearing non-stop about the chaos of this election like never before in this in the history of this nation maybe before the news maybe in Abraham Lincoln time or something like that but we don't know the point is that 
it has been just kind of crisis and chaos out there, and <laughs> you've been hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, and it can make you as a believer get sucked in to the confusion and into all of that. But even in your own personal life, the devil loves to put crisis, he loves to put things in front of you, stuff just to get us distracted, to get us worried about this and that and all these other things and get our eyes off of him. But the Lord spoke to me very clearly a couple of weeks ago that Isaiah 40, if you could just put that up there, Mariah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says that if we, we would hope, we would wait on the Lord we would trust in the Lord. We give our lives back to God. It says that he would raise us up. He would give us wings like eagles, bring us up above our situations, above the chaos, above the junk that's trying to get you, trying to get you looking here. He'll bring you up above those things. You will not be weary. You will not faint. God wants to give us a new strength, a brand new strength in this season. We don't know what is coming for the whole world. We don't know. There is no certainty to even your life here today. There is no guarantee of our next breaths. We thank the Lord for everyone we have. And no matter what comes in our lives, when we are trusting in the Lord, when we are waiting on Him and hoping on the Lord, there's a strength that goes beyond the natural. He brings you up above the way the world's looking all this and that, and they're fighting over the littlest, stupidest stuff, but it's very easy to get sucked into those things sometimes, isn't it? Right? But God, when we trust in Him, hope in Him, rely on Him, He will bring you above. He'll bring you up. So we uh, have been talking about this idea. And last week I took you to look at this story of Abraham. And uh, I was just compelled to look at his story because Abraham is this Hebrews 11 hall of faith Abraham. This guy who believed God and God counted him righteous because he believed God. But as you start to look at the details of his story, it doesn't look like a guy who was flying like an eagle. It doesn't look like a guy who wasn't weary and faint. It looks like, like our lives many times. You're trying to follow him. You believe that God is real. You believe that you gave your life to him. You've come to a church or to, you've been to several churches or however you came to the Lord. You're trying to follow God. And then this thing comes and that thing comes and it kind of, if you look at your life moment by moment, it doesn't look like it's led at all. Sometimes it can, doesn't look like God is there. It can look like, where are you, God? But then when you look at it from, we're looking at the perspective of, we look at 10 chapters and we go, wow, look at what God did in his life. Not, we don't remember that that was 25 years of trusting God day by day moment by moment. But if you look at your own situations, where we're at, if you look too closely at your situation, you look at the things that are going on in your life from this perspective here, we could miss what God is doing. We may not be finished with what he's doing in this season. But something amazing happened. Something incredible happened. And we read last week that Abraham in chapter 12 got called by God. 
God called him, said, go, I've got a plan for you. I'm sorry, did I say Genesis 12? Genesis 12, thank you. God calls him and says, I want you to leave everything behind. I want you to follow me. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for your life. Now he leaves. He leaves it all behind. And we can read in the New Testament that it was an amazing thing that happened. Hebrews says that he had the faith that to trust God, but then it says that he had the faith to keep trusting God because he was living like a foreigner. Who feels like you're a foreigner in this world? We've been talking about this last couple of weeks. Sometimes you feel like you've given your heart to Christ. You're trying to follow God. And man, it seems like the world has got some things figured out a little better than us sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like their life is a lot easier than ours. And here we've, we're trusting in God. We're giving our lives to Christ. But, and they just seems like everything comes so easy sometimes for the world. We're trying to follow God. It feels like everything is against us. We've got walls against us. But we, the devil loves trying to get us to look at things through our natural eyes. See, the thing is that the very system that things are coming easy for them in is his system. It's his plans, his purposes for their life. So, of course, they're not going to come up against the walls. You, when you say yes to Christ, you are counter culture. It's an old term. You are against the flow. You have decided that I'm not going to do things the way they do it. And as soon as you do that, it's like a sea of people heading your way. You ever try to go through a crowd, maybe a subway station, a tight quarters crowd, the opposite direction, or go through a school hallway when everybody's trying to leave and you got to get back. You forgot something in your class, try to get back. It's very difficult, takes some time. Everything is flowing against you when we say yes to Christ. That's just the, the way it is. And the reason that I wanted to go here was not to overwhelm you, not to, to put the weight on you, was to free you. So the Bible is filled with these stories for two reasons. One, it shows us who God is and how people listened to him and didn't listen to him and how God responded didn't respond. And the second thing is that because of their example, seeing how God was with them, that we can learn from them. So it does two things. One, it shows us that the men of God and the women of God who followed him, they made mistakes, but God forgave them. Then he raised them up again and they made more mistakes and then he forgave them and gave them another chance. So we can learn from those a, but also when we make mistakes, wrong turns, we can see that God's grace is there for us as well. And that's what I want to talk about today, that, that when you don't know why, you don't know where God is, but you just feel like everything is against you, you feel like, man, I'm just trying to get some things figured out and I can't seem to do it. Who's been there where you just can't seem to figure out what is going on in your life. We're trying. God, I'm trying. I'm giving it all over to you. I'm, I'm handing it over to you. I am. I, I don't know what else. Who has said this? I have many times. I don't know what else to say to you. I don't know what else to give you. I don't know how to get any lower. I've done that so many times with the Lord. I'm doing that recently just to come back. I said last week, I'll say it again in James 4. It tells us if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. So when in doubt, and this, this is what we're going to look at. When in doubt, 
Just come back, get low again, humble yourself again, because if James 4 says, if you humble yourself, he gives grace to the humble, and generously it says, then when you're not sure what's going on in your life, just come back. Just come back. And we see this is what happens with Abraham. Genesis 12, God calls him. Then there's, as soon as he gets to where God calls him to be, the, and the, midway down the same exact chapter, there's a famine. feels like, God, are you kidding me? I just got to where I feel like you called me to be. I just gave my life to you. I've been getting some things restored. You've been refreshing some things. I'm so excited with a brand new call to follow you again. And now I feel like, where are you? Where are you? How, this can't be gone. But we see what happens. This is, this is where I ended last week. I want to pick up in chapter 13. It says that he came back out of Egypt. It says... In Genesis 13, verse 1, he left Egypt and he traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and, they, and all they owned. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And from the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. And it says in verse 4, this was the same place where Abram had built the altar. And there he worshiped, or other language, it says, he called on the Lord again. When we get saved, you've heard me say it many, many, many times, and it will not be the last. It's not a drive-through. You can't just pick up Jesus on the way. I mean, you can it's just not going to be very, it's not going to be great for you long term. Going to get lost real quick. Jesus and this relationship that we have with him is every day. God is not surprised by our mistakes. God is not angry with his people when we make them. All that God is looking for always, this is the same, no matter where you're at in your life, is one thing, get back to me. In fact, do you know, before you even said yes to Jesus the first time, you were actually coming back. Your DNA, just the fact that we are here, the Bible says we were made in God's image. We were created like God. Sin, God itself, drove a wedge in between us and God. And when we came to Jesus the first time, we were saying, yes, we were coming back. We were coming back to the place that we were created to be with God. And so no matter what happens in your life, no matter where you go, no matter what mistakes, no matter which turns we make, no matter what comes, because we're not really clear. It doesn't actually tell us, as I said last week, of if he should have never went to Egypt we're not sure if he was forced into Egypt. It says that the famine forced him, but should he have stuck it out? 
Should he technically have just stayed where God told him and believed that God would supernaturally provide for him? Because he did that not too long later in the same uh, exact journey, very similar journey rather, for the Israelites just 400 years later. They relied on a supernatural food from heaven. So should he have stayed? We're not sure. And the story doesn't really tell us. But what it shows us is it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter why you got to where you're at now. It's the same answer today as it was yesterday, as it will be tomorrow. Just come back. Just come back. It says he worshiped the Lord again. The Lord is looking for his church worldwide for that matter to worship him again. We've all gotten distracted. That can happen on a daily basis. That can happen in a seasonal basis. That, might, that season may be 10 years for some of us. Going through some the motions and, and crisis came. We were forced into things. We were pushed into things. It doesn't really matter how it happened, but we all get off track. We all get out of the plan that God called for us. We all get pushed around a little bit, but we come back. And it says, if you look down at the end of the chapter, it says in verse 14, as after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. Verse 15, I'm giving you, giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. Or really it says descendants, but specifically it says, they look, they, we look at this in the New Testament, your seed, referring to Jesus Christ. We are his seed. We are the children of God by Jesus Christ. We've been, we, he is the brand new Adam. So we have the same promise that he's about to speak to him. He says, I'm going to give you this land. What is the land? Was it a physical location? No, it was an eternity with God. It was a connection with God. It was come out. He had left the world system he had left that and had decided to follow God, just like we do. We leave behind what we know. We leave behind the world and we follow God. And he came to this place and it says in verse 16, and I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Verse 17, go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. So Abraham I'm calling Abraham. He's about, Abram moved his camp. Listen, he came back. Doesn't matter why he got off. It doesn't matter what happened. He came back and worshiped the Lord again. When he did that, then it caused him to move. Something in him. Sometimes when you're not sure, what's going on in your life. You don't know why things are the way they are. You come back, you worship the Lord again, get back to Him, humble yourself, lower yourself again, and something begins to happen in you. We look at His story, it doesn't say that God told him to move. It doesn't say God said to move. But something about spending 
time with God, something about walking with God, something happens where you just, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, that you trust in the Lord, you give him your whole heart, you lean upon him, you lay it all down before him, just, just totally rely on him, and it says that he will direct your steps or he'll make your path straight. He'll make it smooth, depending on the translation. He will direct your steps. You just start walking again, and you don't even know why you're heading to where you're heading. But you have decided to walk with God. Something in you, you worship the Lord again. And it says in verse 19, I'm sorry, in verse 18, so Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, there he built another altar to the Lord. Now, Mariah, can you put that photo up for me? I thought this was really funny when I pulled in this morning because I wasn't thinking of this. all. I forgot what this building was even called. Totally forgot until I pulled in and I was walking in because the words were so fresh because I had just been reading it. And I said, are you kidding me? Lord likes the Oak Grove. Because it says in chapter 18, he had settled in the Oak Grove. And in chapter 18, it says, verse one, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove. I thought this was just, you know, this is not, this wasn't the sermon because I didn't even know it till I pulled in. But I thought, man, God's got a way. As I'm driving here, just in my own heart, just lowered myself again and again and again and again and again and again. And man, if humility is what it takes to be lifted up, then how low can you go? How low can you go? <laughs> May just keep going lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. Lord, I just cried out to him on the drive here and I said, Lord, and I felt overwhelmed by his presence that I just want to, I want to know him. You get, we don't, it can feel like Man, you just wonder what he may have felt like in the process of this time here. We're looking at the story in just a few words and a few chapters, but what's it going to feel like following God here? But it says that the Lord appeared again. You make a statement to God that you want to worship him. You want to, you want to, make some things fresh again with God. You're going to humble yourself before the Lord. The Lord likes the oak grove. The Lord likes that place because that's the place where you built an altar. That's the place where you settled with God. He settled some things. He says he settled there and he built an altar. I just want to talk for a few minutes now on... What does that mean? We say altar, and some of the mature Christians here, you have a good understanding, and some people don't. We say the word altar very flippantly, like we all know what it means, but what is an altar? What actually happened? What was happening here with Abraham? Well, the altar, the first account we have 
is in the book of Genesis, and it's with Noah. And it's just a dozen chapters back. Genesis chapter 8, it says in verse 20, it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is the very first account of an altar. There is no precedence before this. We have nothing. Nothing tells us why he did this. Nothing tells us that this was something that you just knew to do, but it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed. There he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose in verse 21, and the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground. This is right after the flood because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. And this altar stood in the place. It stood in the gap for the sin of humanity, for our sin and God. There was, a, there was something that was marked. It was put in place of our mistakes. It says, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, this altar stood in the gap. Now, we know that Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. We don't know exactly. I mean, these guys were lived old, he was 600-some years old when he wrote this, when, he, when this happened. So how, who knows in all that time in the wisdom of God what he had been shown and what he knew and what had been passed down from Adam. But something in him knew that I'm man and he's God. And God put something in between, blood in between sin and himself. The sin that caused the flood to happen, that caused him to start again, to refresh, and the altar was built. So the point of the altar was to put something between our mistakes, our sin, our failings, and the Lord. And so if we look over at Abraham, when he came back to the place where God had met with him, it says, he built, he came back to the altar where God had met with him, and then God moves him. He just being led, he moves, and the very first thing he does, you find this pattern with him, you find it with his son, Isaac, and you find it with Isaac's son, Jacob. In fact, Jacob comes right back to the very altar that he built. In fact, I don't know that it's true, but the oak tree, at least the religious world over there in Israel, still recognizes a particular oak, particular tree, that they say it's 5,000-year-old tree. They've dated the tree, but they say it is the tree, whether that's true or not. The point is, is that this altar, this place, this coming back was a pattern. It's a pattern for the people of God. And Jesus Christ became that, those, the animals, the blood. Jesus Christ took that place. But when we accept him, the book of Romans chapter 12 tells us, book of Romans chapter 12 verse 1, says that not only did Jesus' blood stand in the gap, not only did the altar 
ultimately the place between us and God was Jesus Christ. But he says to us, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable or says pleasing to him. This is truly the way to worship him. Other translations say this is your reasonable service. This is, or in other words, as a believer, it's just who you are. It's not really an extra. He's not saying give your bodies, become a sacrifice, lay your life on the altar because that's a great thing for you to do. It's this is who you are. This is the way we worship. This is the way the very first account before anything was even established in God's kingdom yet. I mean, we're just getting started. Noah just gets out of the boat and he builds this altar. Here we are all the way over in the New Testament where what the covenant we're living in today with Jesus Christ living in this covenant which is we are the sacrifice. It's a lifestyle of laying our lives down for the Lord. And we just, we can't get enough. It says in the very next verse, we can't get enough of that. We have to just keep coming because he warns us in the very next verse, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. They don't want to, the world doesn't want to sacrifice anything to the Lord. I don't want to give anything up. The world doesn't want to do anything for him. We, in, in opposition, it, it, as, as a change, we've, we're doing something different. We're letting God transform us into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What is that pleasing and perfect? That's in direct reference to, it says, as over in Genesis 8, that he said that the aroma of the sacrifice pleased the Lord. The place between God and our flesh is the altar. It's the place where we meet with God and what goes on that altar. Ultimately, Jesus' blood did that for you to make a way for you, but we join with him on the altar, we join with Christ. The Bible says that we died with him. So that's why Romans 12 can say this so confidently. We're not doing something extra. We're not doing something above. We're not adding to Christ. We are joining with Christ on the altar, giving our lives. And if that's what Abraham did, if that's what he did, he built an altar. What is the statement that he was making? What was he saying to God? God, you've got my life. God, you have it. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure where you're leading. I don't know what this road has ahead of me, but one thing I do know, that you're God. I heard you call me, and, I, and I've gotten a little lost. I've gotten a little out there, but I came back. I came back to where you were, to where I met with you, and the Lord joyfully meets with you again. You come back to the Lord where you met him last. Just come back. You ever get lost? Well, if you're like me who loves to just to go out and explore, you've gotten lost once or twice. 
But I used to say, I don't get lost. I always find my way. Technically, I was lost for a period of time. But I got to where I needed to be. It just took a little bit longer. I guess that's the definition of lost. But sometimes you just have to go back. Sometimes you just got to come back to where you last remembered. I got a little lost out here. I'm just coming back to here. There is no shame to coming back to the altar. Just come back to the altar. Come back to the altar. Just come back again and again and again and again. That's the pattern. It was established right at the very beginning in the eighth chapter of the Bible and confirmed to us in the New Testament that that's the way. The way to, of God. The way is to put our lives down. That's what Abraham showed us. And it doesn't look like God necessarily is doing anything right now. In this exact moment, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is in control. It doesn't feel like he's doing anything. It doesn't feel like you've got me, God. But I can look at your word. I can look at their story and I can learn from them and see that you were faithful to them. When they came back to you, you always, there is not one story of a person in his word that came back that said, Lord, take me again, that he didn't joyfully do it. There's not one. In fact, David said, I was, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Well, that's interesting that he used that word because the Bible calls Abraham righteous. And what was he called righteous from? It said that Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness. God is not surprised when we get a little shaky, when we were not sure. What he's looking for is you say, I believe again. Man, that day, I just can't, I can't express it enough. I can't preach it enough that the angels are rejoicing when we say, I believe again. God is so looking to do something with our lives. He's so looking to do something with your broken, messed up life. He's not concerned with those things. He will make it something beautiful. God can and will. Just a few more things. Is that all right, guys? I was searching God's heart and I was praying and said, Lord, what's the heart of this message? What are you trying to say? And uh, I was just, when I said that to the Lord, something about the word heart just struck me. I didn't know why yet. Sometimes if you spend time with the Lord, sometimes something, you know there's something that God's trying to show you. You know there's something he wants to teach you. You know there's something there, but I just didn't quite have it yet. So even in my notes, I wrote down heart, but I'm not sure where yet. So I'm praying and just seeking the Lord a little bit further. And I just found myself saying to the Lord, based on this sermon, that there's a song on the radio. It's, it's an older one now. But it's, uh, and it's been done many times by many artists, and it's the heart of worship. I just found myself praying some of the lyrics that I'm coming back. You guys know the song? You know this song? It says, the chorus says, I'm coming back to the heart 
of worship. And it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. We make it some things sometimes. We make this thing with God something that it's not sometimes. And he says, when it's all about, I've made it something else, but it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. He says, though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours every single breath. God's looking for his people to come back and come back and come back. See, what happened is Noah worshiped the Lord. Came right out of the ark, worshiped the Lord. And that's how things start. That's what everything's about. Everything is about Worship is not songs. That's amazing that we do that. That's what really this song is the epitome of what the Lord is speaking of this sermon. That we can sing songs to him and that's great. And we should keep doing that. And we're gonna keep, you're gonna still see songs next Sunday. We're gonna keep worshiping him in that way. But worship is so much more than a song. Just like the song says of itself, it's I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. You're looking into my heart. God is looking for us to, even when we have no idea where he's taking us, there's not even a precedent for where he's trying to get us. Who did Abraham have to say, well, I'll just follow such and such and I'll just, you know, I know what to do. Sometimes the Lord, I believe God's doing something with us and for us that is, is brand new. It's tried and true in the sense that he did the same thing Noah did. I know what to, I know how to get to God, but we're not going the same place. He's got an individual call for my life. God's got something for me to do, and I know what to do with God, but this doesn't give me any clarity of where we're going, but one thing I know, just come back and worship Him, because that works. Just come back to Jesus. Lay it all back at His altar. Lay yourself on His altar. Just lay it down because his word has shown us and proved to us and in your own life, if you search your, your story and you look at your story, you can see that, yeah, the times I came back, the Lord was faithful. The Lord never failed me. Every time I came back, he took me back and he did way more. Who can testify that God did more for you than you were even asking? That's the way he works. He'll do bigger and more for you. you. You just say, Lord, have you ever in your simplicity of mind, Lord, I'll just take a, I'll take a really small seat in your kingdom. You know, if there even, if I could just come back in at all. God doesn't look at us like that. He doesn't look, remember the story of the prodigal? Remember? Through a huge feast for him. He didn't say to him as soon as he showed up, hey, man, what have you been doing? <laughs> Where have you been? God wants us back to the heart of worship. And when we do, there is no promise whatsoever 
in this sermon that you will know where to go tomorrow, but you know who to go to. I have no idea. The most humble thing you can say as a believer is, I don't know. I have no idea what God's ultimate plan is for my life. I have an idea. Remember, it, it cautions us. In the New Testament, we see a caution. It says, don't, don't say what you're going to do today and tomorrow and you got it all planned out because you don't know. And that's scriptural to not know. There was a time where Paul, when I mean, they were trying to get him over an axe, they were trying, the church was, uh, one of the churches he was visiting, they were trying to get him to stay. And he said to them, I will come back later, God willing. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to come visit you guys again. That would be great. But God willing, if that's what the Lord's plan is, we need to remember that God's plan is his plan. This, I've been preaching that just to kind of bring it all home. This has been about God's still God. We're still little man. He's still God. One thing we know is we come back to his heart. We get close to him. Does he ever fail us? Never. We don't know what that life will look like, but he never fails us. In fact, it says to us, and I'll close with this scripture in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You may know this one. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster or evil. They are to give you a future and a hope. But listen to the key. We love that one. This is the verse you see on the mug right here. Right there. That's on the mug and on the plaque. That's amazing. That's, and that's true. But listen to the next verse. It says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me, verse 13, wholeheartedly, you will find me. Verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. The Lord has a plan for each of us. He's got a plan for this church and he still has a plan for this nation on November 9th, the day after the election. God is still God. And what our part, he'll be God. That's it. We don't need to help him be God. All we need to do is what it says to do. Pray and I will listen. Look for me wholeheartedly and you will find me. Seek me with your whole heart and you will find me. All we have to do is come back to him. Pray to him. Look for him. He is easy to find. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is so refreshing to spend time with you. Thank you, Lord, that when we open your word and just speak the truth of your word, just as your word says of itself, that times of refreshing, they come, coming back to you, seeking you. Thank you, Lord, for a refreshing in this room. And even, Lord, for the whole body that's not here today, Lord, we just pray for them, Lord. We pray for this body, this part of the body, Lord, 
We pray in Jesus' name for a refreshing from your word, a restoration for your people. We thank you, Lord, that when we seek you, we will find you. When we look for you, we'll find you. When we call to you, you'll answer us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.